0: i uh-huh. uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde from the film Zootopia. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Hannah Rogers. Welcome back, Hannah.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So glad to have you on to talk about Zootopia. Uh, Zootopia is a 2016 film that tells the story of a bunny rabbit cop joining forces with a fox con man to stop a conspiracy taking place in the anthropomorphic world of Zootopia. It was written by Jared Bush and Phil Johnston and directed by Byron Howard and Rich Moore. Jennifer Goodwin performed the voice of Judy Hopps and Jason Bateman was the voice of Nick Wilde. Do you remember, Hannah, how you first came to Zootopia?
1: I do. Uh so it was out in theaters um in March of 2016. I believe Yes. Oh, yes.
0: Is, uh, I think it was I, released first in February, so it would still be there in March.
1: Um it was, it was it, it, eh, I I think it I don't know. I won't I won't quibble over the date. But okay. I, I to my, to my my boyfriend, it's not important. My boyfriend and I were on uh law school touring and we were in Huntsville Alabama and I really had wanted to see this movie because this is the kind of thing I like to watch and we went and saw it in a crowded theater and we were shocked um, at the social commentary at the time because it aligned uh so much uh with what was going on in the world in terms of the presidential primary and just, you know, in general, um, the social mm-hmm. political world. And then um, Donald Trump won the election, and I was teaching a mystery fiction class, so I put it on the syllabus. And like two years ago, I feel like we talked about this. I said, oh, I could talk about Zootopia for your podcast, and now you're letting me. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's it's one that's been on our list of things to get to uh for, for a while. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it. And I just double checked. Yes, in the United States, it first came out in March on March 4th. And it was a European release in February. So you were you were correct about it. Uh it's first showing up in uh March there. My wife took um our kids to go see it. Uh or and I I think probably like our youngest was too young. So I was probably home with the youngest and she took the the three older kids uh, to go see it so she had seen it and my my three older kids had seen it and i had always meant to go s- to, to watch it and never gotten around to it So i was like oh i'm doing it for the podcast and i finally sat with with my kids again to watch it they hadn't seen it since it was in the theater uh we watched it on disney plus uh the, the other day in prep for this discussion and it is delightful and i i did not realize just how popular this film was. Uh, you know, when it was coming out, when I was pulling up the trivia, I was just impressed with the amount of money it made and also the positive review. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but like just a few things I have in the trivia, I'll just go ahead and share now. It has a 98% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It won the Academy Award for best animated film that year. It grossed $340 million in the United States, but a total of what, over $1 billion worldwide which made it for the year. It was the fourth highest grossing film behind Captain America Civil War, Star Wars Rogue One, and Finding Dory. So that was a good year for Disney. And I went and double-checked, the fifth highest grossing film was Jungle Book. So it was a really good year (laughs) for Disney uh, and their films. But that, I mean, that is just a phenomenal amount of success uh, for a film that maybe, like, it, it doesn't feel like it it hit culture the way like frozen with the song from frozen, you know, let it go. Like that just felt like it was everywhere. And I don't feel like Zootopia was everywhere, but it was phenomenally successful.
1: I think it quietly spoke to people. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think, I think partially because it, and, and we can discuss how it does or doesn't successfully do this or how much it touches on, but it, it definitely accidentally, Uh, mirrored a lot of conversations people were having in terms of once again, the presidential election, but also it, it clearly um, has been influenced by movement lives matter. And there's actually a um, article in the popular culture journal that does a reading of black lives matter in relation to Zootopia. Uh, So critics have written about this now.
0: Oh, I've not read that article. I think it's on a, like I, the, the kind of commentary you're describing can't have been accidental. Like the way even like uh, racial microaggressions get, you know, right. uh, addressed uh, and things like that. It, it had to have been deliberate uh, and just maybe how um, topical it was to the headlines. You know, this film was in, in development for years. So that could not have been planned, but it certainly right. did feel of, of that moment uh, and acknowledging um, a lot of conversations that were, taking place and making uh i think you know to a degree like uh, some uncomfortable conversations that were being addressed now with this uh you know shift to an anthropomorphic world and animals instead of instead of people uh but then bringing those conversations in through that guise um and i I guess maybe before we dig into all that we should we should get through the summary so let me just run through the trivia we have first uh and the first bit of trivia was about the film's long and odd journey to screen and i heard some about this uh in some articles but um it was first first came about because Byron Howard pitched six different story ideas to John Lasseter who at the time was the head of Disney animation which again uh, we'll just say social issues. He's not the head of Disney animation anymore. Uh, <laughs> three of the films uh, that he had pitched involved animal characters. One was an all-animal adaptation of The Three Musketeers, so very much in the in the vein of Disney's Robin Hood, I, I think. One was a 1960 set story about, and I'm just going to quote what it said, a mad Dr. Cat who turned children into animals. I don't understand. Like <laughs> It feels like the, they're already animals, but the Dr. Cat, I don't know uh, what, what that story was going to be. The third story was about a bounty hunter pig uh, pug in space. Uh, so clearly Howard wanted to do something similar to Disney's Robin Hood adaptation and do an all animal animated film Lasseter suggested that he combine the 1960s story with the uh, mad scientist uh, causing some issues and the pug bounty hunter story and that eventually became a pitch for a spy story uh, that was going to like travel around the you know this anthropomorphic world to different countries uh, and the film went into development with that but things got condensed to make it one city instead of the worldwide adventure and so it was decided to switch it to a police story instead of a spy story. And it actually went into production, uh, but with the Fox character voiced by Jason Bateman as the protagonist and the bunny character was like a jokey sidekick. And they realized while it was in production that the story worked better if they made the bunny, the protagonist. And I remember reading an article, I could not find it again, but it said essentially like they stopped and it was millions of dollars where they completely like th- this was in motion lines recorded uh, animation happening for that version of the film. And they stopped and completely reworked the story, re-recorded the lines, redid all the animation uh, for, for the version that we have where the bunny is the protagonist and uh the fox becomes the sidekick um and you can actually go find like the initial uh story new stories announcing this always just say like jason bateman is going to be the lead actor uh of the film which you know is not the version that we we kind of end up with and i think that's i mean it's So much money on the line to make that kind of switch mid production on any film, Um, you know, but but also for for animation, it's not like, oh, we're just just gonna swap stuff out. That's that's a lot of changes that had to happen. Um, Another bit of trivia due to various international copyright issues. The film is titled Zootropolis in several parts of the world, but due to another copyright issue in Germany, it is Zoomania. They couldn't use Zootopia or Zootropolis in Germany. Because of children's books seem to be the most common thing. <laughs> there were children's books local to those areas that owned copyrights on the name uh, Zootopia. Uh, it, um, I already noted uh, how much money it made, and it's uh, very positive reviews. And because of that, you would, enna- you would expect an immediate sequel, um, Disney+. I don't know if you're familiar with Disney as a production company, but they do love franchises there. Uh, and they are very willing to go back to the well when they have found something that works. And there have been rumors of a film sequel, but nothing has officially like been announced on that front. However, um, during one of their their most recent investor calls they announced that there will be a tv series for disney plus that will be an anthology series following three different groups of characters from the film Uh, it will be following the mobster shrews the dancing tigers and the government sloths which not the characters i expected When, when they they said it's going to be three different characters, the dancing tigers in particular kind of surprised me. But but here we are. That so that's going to be our next visit to Zootopia, and I think it's going to be uh, not this year, but next year, 2022 is when it is expected that series will show up on Disney Plus. Well, before we move on to the summary of this film, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the summary of Zootopia. And as with all animated films and particularly like the lush, rich, uh, gorgeous animation that we see in Zootopia. A lot of this film's magic is in visual gags and character design that is not going to translate to this. So I would recommend if you have Disney Plus, go go spend a delightful hour and about 40 minutes, I think it was, watching this film. Uh, the film opens with a delightful school play telling the history of Zootopia. This was a highlight. I love the little bunny that helps with all the sound effects, or was it a bunny? I think it was a bunny. The little animal that helps with all the sound effects. One of the stars of the film, only here for the first couple minutes of the film. Once upon a time, all the prey animals feared the predator animals, but now everyone is civilized. Uh, Judy Hopps is a, a child actor in the play, and she dreams of one day becoming the first bunny cop in Zootopia. So even though, like, uh, things are a lot better than when there were just the prey animals attacking the, the, the uh, or the predator animals attacking the prey animals. There's still some some boundaries that need to be broken through. And Judy Hopps hopes to be one of those. Her parents and her hundreds of siblings work on a carrot farm in Burrow, But she will follow her dreams despite her parents recommendation that the key to happiness is having no dreams. You can't be disappointed if you have no expectations, essentially. <laughs> uh but she does succeed in uh joining the police academy and becoming a valedictorian there but on the first day of her job she's assigned parking duty despite there being many missing mammal cases that need to be investigated by the police force a con artist fox nick wild joins uh, our con's judy on her first day and makes a tiny profit judy is very frustrated but can't find out exactly what he did that was illegal it was certainly unethical and immoral uh, but was it illegal the next day she abandons her job of giving parking tickets to go catch a thief who is running out of a flower store This thief is a weasel that leads her on a chase and Judy has to save several smaller animals before finally catching the weasel. Uh, The chief of police is angry at Judy for leaving her parking ticket duties, but a citizen, Mrs. Otterton, keeps interrupting the meeting where he is chewing Judy out. Mrs. Otterton says her husband is missing, and Judy volunteers to find the missing husband, and the chief gives her the assignment, but tells her she has 48 hours to solve the case, or she's fired. Looking over the scant evidence they have, Judy sees a part uh, of the con Nick Wilde had used, uh, and so she goes and finds him and blackmails him into helping her. She's realized that while he, uh, she, everything that he's doing isn't, she can't find the specific thing that's illegal. She knows he hasn't been paying taxes on the money he's making. And he owes a lot. Uh, so Nick takes Judy to the last place that he saw Mr. Otterton, a yoga studio. They get clues that lead them to a limo. But to find the limo, they have to go to the DMV, which is run by sloths. Eventually, very eventually. They're able to find the information they need from the sloths. They go find the limo, which has claw marks on the inside. As they're trying to sneak away, some large polar bears grab them and take them to see a criminal named Mr. Big. Mr. Big is a tiny shrew. And I have to say, this gag killed it with my six-year-old son, Derek. He loved Mr. Big being this tiny animal. (laughs) <laughs> it was uh it, it's one of those bits that has so many antecedents in in comedy but it also still just works you got to keep some of the classics even if, the, if it's been done before uh so this tiny shrew is about to have them killed when his daughter judy uh sees them now judy turns out to be one of the small animals that uh or sorry uh the daughter turns out to be one of the small animals that judy saved during the chase with the weasel earlier and so the daughter now recognizes hey you're the cop but that saved my wife in gratitude for having saved his daughter. Mr. Big tells, uh, Judy and Nick, what he knows. Mr. Otterton was the florist for his daughter's wedding, but when he was on his way to see Mr. Big, Mr. Otterton went feral or savage and he attacked the driver and then disappeared. Judy and Nick go to see the driver who says that Mr. Otterton was saying something about night howlers before he went crazy in the back of the limo. Just then the driver goes feral and starts attacking them. They're barely able to escape after Judy handcuffs him. But when the police return, uh, um, uh, to where she had handcuffed that uh, savage driver. The driver is gone. The chief demands that Judy give him her badge, but Nick stands up to the chief saying that Judy still has 10 hours to solve this case. Nick explains that just like Judy, he wanna, uh, just like Judy wanted to be the first bunny cop, Nick, when he was a kid, he wanted to be the first predator to join the junior ranger scouts. But at the first meeting, he tends the other kids bully him and put a muzzle on him. Nick uh, realizes uh, at that point that he doesn't have a place in in society. Uh, and so that's kind of like his origin story to become a con man. Uh, Nick is thinking through the case they're trying to crack and he realizes that traffic cams might have footage of what happened to the handcuffed driver that disappeared Judy remembers that the assistant mayor who is a lamb uh, that is very often picked on by the mayor who is a lion uh, had offered to help her out if she ever needed it so they go to the assistant mayor and she gets them access and they see a group of wolves take the feral driver away the wolves must be the night howlers Nick says the wolves must have traveled through a maintenance tunnel that he knows about to avoid detection they follow that tunnel and discover an old building Uh, Inside that building, they find all of the missing mammals. But all the animals have gone savage. They hear voices and hide in an empty cell. Judy records the conversation and realizes that it is the mayor asking a doctor why the predators are going savage. The doctor asks the mayor to go to the police chief and explain what's happening, but the mayor refuses. Judy's phone rings uh, and they realize that, you know, someone is there listening. Uh, but before uh, Nick, Nick and Judy are able to escape before they get caught and they get the police to that building and the mayor and doctor are arrested and the animals that have gone savage are taken away to be studied and hopefully Helped, The chief is impressed with Judy and includes her in a press conference about what's been discovered in this case. When asked why the predators are becoming savage, she repeats something that the doctor had said and she had overheard that there may be something in the predator's DNA and they're reverting to a more primitive state, that it's something inherent within them. This offends Nick. And he leaves. It also sets off a panic in the city as the prey and predators stop trusting each other. The assistant mayor has been made mayor and she wants Judy to be the face of a campaign by the Zootopia Police Department to calm down the population. But Judy says a good cop should help the city not tear it apart. So she turns in her badge. Judy goes back home to Bunnyboro when talking with her parents. Her dad suddenly yells at some kids to stay away from certain flower. He explains that they're toxic and he had a brother eat one one time and the brother went into an uncontrollable rage. Someone else says that his family calls those flowers, night howlers and things click for Judy. And she rushes back to Zootopia. She finds Nick and apologizes. She says she was wrong and ignorant in what she said. He agrees to join her. And she explains that the night howlers, Mr. Otterton were talking, uh, was talking about were not wolves, but the flower from his shop that had made him savage. They go to the weasel who was stealing night howler bulbs from that flower shop. And he says he was selling them to a Ram at an abandoned subway station. They go there and find, well, essentially a breaking bad meth lab being run by a sheep in an old subway car. Uh, The doctor is extracting blue serum from the bulbs and storing it in a small pellet that he loads into a gun. Judy and Nick see what's happening and try to steal the whole lab by starting the subway car and driving it away. They end up in a fight with some of the Rams and eventually the subway car crashes and explodes. Judy and Nick got off and Nick has the briefcase with the pellet gun and the serum within it for proof of what has been happening. They run towards the police station, cutting through the natural history museum. The new mayor thanks them well, runs into them there in the museum and thanks them for their service and asks for the briefcase. They realize... Wait, why are you even here? And they realize she's behind the whole conspiracy to make predators look bad, and they try to run away. In their flight, the mayor is able to get the briefcase and shoots a pellet at Nick while he turns savage. She explains her plan. She says the prey outnumber the predators 10 to 1, but now they'll finally be able to get rid of all of the predators from the city with this panic that she has been inspiring. Nick stops pretending to be feral and reveals that they were recording the mayor. They had swapped out the pellet of uh, the serum for a blueberry to make it look like he'd been hit. In the future, we see so we jump ahead some time and we see Judy addressing a new class of graduates from the police academy, including Nick Wilde. They are partners now. Their first case is catching a serial speeder who's uh, speeding through town. And it turns out to be the sloth from the DMV. The end. Love that callback with the sloth. The sloths were a delight. Yeah.
1: Well, you you forgot the most important part of this film, which is uh, Shakira's gazelle, who sings the most catchy song (laughs) in the world.
0: It is a catchy song. I know. I, I'm, it still might be the, uh, what was the Lego movie song? The everything is awesome. Is awesome. That one was a little catchier, but yes, uh, Shakira does do uh, a fantastic song. It just turned out to be fairly incidental to the plot when you're trying to describe what happens.
1: <laughs> it It is the major thing that when students came to class, they wanted to talk about, um, <laughs>
0: the The Shakira pop yeah. song in the in the movie. Yeah,
1: so I I so we analyzed it uh, in relation to the <laughs> themes of the film.
0: Now I don't remember the lyrics as much. I've only seen the film one time, and uh, I I was not paying as close attention to that plot point. So how does Shakira's song tie into the themes of the
1: so film? So the the song is called "Try Everything," um, which, if you uh, recall from the beginning of the film, if you've seen it. Uh, when her parents are like Judy, don't dream, be complacent. She's like, the, if you don't try, you won't fail. And she's like, I like trying, actually. So it it once again reemphasizes the value in trying. And uh, you know, if you think about individualism in this film and personal growth and development, uh, this song is about trying and starting again, and I won't. Do like the song says things like I won't give up, I won't give in until I reach the end, and then I'll start again. I want to try everything, so that that really just sort of hammers home the the sort of individualist, universalist kind of narrative that Judy goes through because that that is you know her her trying and failing and going back. Uh, You see this at the police Mm -hmm. academy. You see this as she develops as a character. and you, you kind of like see that in her final speech as well when she's talking about, you know, we have to work together and it, and a new world starts with you and me and all of us. And we have to push toward something greater.
0: Yes, I actually have. um Some of that final monologue that she says, she she says, when I was a kid, I thought Zootopia was this perfect place where everyone got along and anyone could be anything. Turns out real life's a little bit more complicated than a slogan on a bumper sticker. Real life is messy. We all have limitations. We all make mistakes, which means, Hey, glass half full. We all have a lot in common. And the more we try to understand one another, the more exceptional each of us will be, but we have to try no matter what type of animal you are from the biggest elephant to our, to our first Fox I employ you try, try to make a difference, try to make the world a better place. Try to look inside yourself and recognize the change starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with all of us. So yeah, it's um, an interesting message in that it's, it uh, is like acknowledging that, um, you know, the idea that anyone could be anything isn't, real right like there's a lot of issues that makes that very hard but uh the trying can be worth it and the trying can lead to self-realization and self-actualization even if uh it's not uh you know always gonna be 100 successful so, so I, I i was struck with that particular message like it, it's you know i i think so often you hear yoda's quote of like do or do not there is no try and this is kind of the opposite of saying no there's value in trying yeah. <laughs> like, like just get out there and do it uh to the, to the best you can and yes there may be external factors that deny the accomplishment of whatever goal you have uh and and all kinds of external factors are dealt with in this film <laughs> Um a lot of specific issues are acknowledged in this film that make it so that, yeah, it's it's not true that anyone can be anything, uh, just by uh, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. But you can make yourself a better person by trying.
1: And I, I do wonder um how in context of the whole film and maybe some of what I and I, I agree with these critics crics, um, muddle like perhaps some of the more muddled messages of the film, um, because of how certain things are done in the narrative if trying like can like it it is both positive and framed extremely positively but in terms of social change it's like what does trying mean specifically is it about mm-hmm. individual development becoming more understanding of other people is it about imagining a different world of, it, it seems less imagining a different world in the sense of changing the system because nothing really changes in terms of, you know, the police, the mayor, uh, bureaucracy, mm-hmm. except like who is Other in charge. Than new people slipping in. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's always more about individual change um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: than, hey, maybe we need to rethink the system, um, which also is interesting, um, given that the title of at least... The U.S. version is Zootopia, which is a play on utopia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, so many stories about utopia, um, as my dissertation advisor liked to remind me, also point out that utopia and dystopia are very close together. And what people think might be a utopia actually is not.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, the, it, it's not so much opposites as like different variations of, of of the same can can lead to to those two things, uh, and I think in terms of the film's muddled messaging, it is very difficult to land the anthropomorphized, uh, you know, shift of real world very serious problems, right, and, and now make it into animal versions of those things, and it can work to. A certain level, very successfully, but at a certain point, I think it always breaks down. so, I teach a whole class about Mouse, which is a graphic novel that zoomorphizes real people that survived the Holocaust and uses um you know a, a simple metaphor in part of the Jews being mice and the Nazis being cats to tell this uh, again this real story of the author's uh, uh, parents uh, surviving Auschwitz uh but within that, there has to come a point where like our Spiegelman, the, the the character like breaks the fourth wall to a degree with the reader and says, I don't know how I'm supposed to carry out this animal metaphor anymore. Like it, it, it worked to a point, but now it's just breaking down. And it it's like issues of like, well, what do I do with my wife who is French, but converted to Judaism for a marriage for my father, not really like, you know, fully embracing the faith, but for my, my, my parents happiness, she converted to it. But now, I've drawn some French as frogs, which also got people angry at me. And I've been drawing all the Jews as mice. So how do I draw her? And like, there's this debate on the page about like, Oh, this is this kind of breaking down. I think that postmodern break down, breaking of the fourth wall and acknowledging some of the difficulties of the story being told and the tension that the creator is feeling and, and hopes the reader is also engaging with in terms of meaning making that can help to carry us through some of the stickiness of, you know, that animal metaphor for the real world tragedy of the Holocaust in Zootopia. We get a lot of animal metaphor dealing with real world issues of race, of systemic uh, problems that, uh, you know, real people in their daily life are, are being harmed by and transferring all that to animals. At what point does it start to break down? And this story because of the nature of how it's being told, you know, never has that moment to break the fourth wall and say, Ooh, this, this isn't always landing perfectly.
1: And I also think, I I mean, the race metaphor, I think, is blatantly obvious. And in a lot of the, I I mean, I'm not a Zootopia expert by any means, Um, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of the criticism I've seen, like the Journal of Popular Culture article I mentioned, it specifically looks at race and Zootopia. But I also think that when they're talking about discrimination, they don't just focus on race based on how they refer to certain situations. Like Judy Hopps, um, it's like first bunny cop. It feels very, even though there are women in the police force and her instructor in the academy like seems to be a woman. Um, they, they It does feel a little they, breaking the glass they, yeah, ceiling. Yeah, it feels breaking the right? glass ceiling. And then like Nick at one point says to her oh you bunnies you're so emotional which mm. i mean how many times has a woman been called
0: emotional um that's a pretty charged word choice yeah, I, <laughs> to to you put to put into a script that went through so many revisions and everyone looked at it and they knew exactly what how charged that word choice and was
1: even and i and this is to a lesser extent and i might just be reading more into it than the creators intended but even thinking about accessible bathrooms for instance and like Uh, you know issues of ableism there's you know giant bathrooms in the um police academy and she like fall and judy falls into a toilet and it made me think oh is this about like refusal to like make accommodations because it's blatantly different than everywhere else in zootopia where you see how the world is modified to fit the animals living in it. So I don't know. Um, So there, there, it's not, there was a a debate in any time I talk about this film about, are they trying to say something specific about race? And if so, that seems a little muddled too, if it's predators versus prey, because while in the U S you know, we, we talk about how police are more likely to stop black and brown people Uh, than white people and more you know percentage population wise more black and brown people are incarcerated and arrested than white people but at the same time the casting of predators doesn't just fall in terms of race of like the actors voicing them and of course um, that could take us down another road of um, you know like essentializing race in terms of voice um, that I've I've Mm -hmm. heard in you know discussions of like animation, but the the point is is like there's there's like no easy way to map things out based on how they've written it one hundred percent.
0: Yes, and I, I think that's the you know again that that kind of muddiness that happens naturally with this sort of thing. So I think they're saying a lot of interesting things, and they're. It's very deliberate in that, but are you always going to be able to make that one-to-one correlation? Absolutely not. Um, and uh, I, I think one reason why it feels muddy is there's so much of it that feels like it's inviting that one-to-one correlation, but then you can't find it in other moments. Um, but that that's like the larger abstract themes of this. Let's talk a little bit about some of the specific characters. Uh, let, let's talk about Judy Hopps, uh, who definitely has a very clear like hero's journey type story and transformation and like self-realization. Um, and, and she's very different, you know, at the, at the end of the, of the film versus at the beginning. Uh, how do you think she works as, as like the, the core protagonist that we're going to be following through on this adventure?
1: I mean, for what they're trying to do, it does make sense um, in terms of, you know, wide-eyed, hopeful, has dreams of making a difference, goes to the big city. Um, and I i do appreciate, um, although we can talk about how they might handle it, that she she positions herself as sort of like a liberal um kind of character. Like her parents are like, You gotta watch out for foxes, and she's like, guys. You're so close-minded. Yet she takes the fox repellent her parents offer her, and then Mm -hmm. like and doesn't just take it to shut them up. She takes it out of her apartment, which is one of the few weapons in Zootopia. Um, Like the 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 police are not obviously carrying guns. Um, I also um, noticed someone on Medium wrote an article about how she actually seems to be one of the few officers wearing body armor uh which seems like a strange character choice um in their words uh and she she does kind of position herself as a liberal character uh she and nick get along she he like trusts her and then the most heartbreaking scene of the movie is when she utterly destroys him um by revealing her own prejudice and not and until that moment, she doesn't even realize what she's done until he says that she has hurt him and it might have been dealt with a little too easily in this film in the sense that like she is is great that she apologizes, but he forgives her um pretty quickly after she apologizes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean it's a nine minute Disney movie, so I understand that it's also Disney um, and they're not going to give us la confidential for example um (laughs) so i yeah i she both changes in the sense that she learns a lot about herself and looks inward but she also doesn't change in the sense that she still is very into trying at the end as we've
0: already discussed (laughs) as we we get the monologue uh there at the end yeah i i think um the like the transformation that we get is a you know, her her moment in the abyss and the, like the camellian monomyth version is after that press conference when she, you know, breaks, ruins her relationship with Nick because she hurts him so badly. And uh, like she realizes that there's something. In herself that she had not acknowledged right in terms of her worldview and uh, and the language choice that she uses and how embedded all those things are and and in ways that are harmful to other people that she was able to be passive about and and not consider. And I think it's very interesting that um, like that's that is her big mistake. Um, You know, it's not. Uh, I mean, they haven't actually caught the bad guy, but everyone thinks she's caught the bad guy. This is supposed to be a moment of triumph. Uh, And it's not realizing that she didn't catch the bad guy and she made a mistake in the case or anything like that. It is um, how uh, her words are having this harmful impact on uh, the social interactions of people around her is is what's going to send her into this lonely most separate moment and coming out of that she has to mend those bridges and uh you know correct her behavior and admit i was wrong not be defensive of like oh you're overreacting but like no i i said the wrong thing and and that i think is an important lesson that i agree like his his acceptance of her apology was very quick right it just it just got to happen so there's a little hand waveness about some of the work but i think having that message of like a a acknowledgement of your own mistake and not trying to excuse it as being like the the crux of a lot of the story that was an interesting you know inclusion in in this you know animated kids film with a lot of very bright colors and a lot of f- fun uh, you know character design and and you know talking animals and all those other things um, and I think we get Judy Hops, you know, has that parallel path with Nick
2: Wilde. So should we talk a little bit about Nick? So before you get into talking about Nick, I do want to throw in one thing that I think is um, a, like a great kind of character beat for Judy, um, which is super early on in the film and and super early on in her life when she's a kid and she is trying to, you know, be the police officer on the playground, basically. Um, and some of the kids are getting bullied and she. Intervenes in a very effective way where she doesn't stoke the conflict, um, because I, what is it like? Is it another fox or a coyote or something? Gideon
1: Gray, a fox. Yes, a yes, yes, a
2: fox. Um, and so he's he's stealing carnival tickets and hassling people, and he's just being a bully. And she stands up to him and basically like takes a hit so she could just steal the the tickets back. But she just takes the hit. She doesn't like dig into like no this is wrong she just kind of like does it to help make the 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 bullied animals feel better and I think that's kind of like emblematic of her character throughout throughout the whole story right she doesn't want to stoke the conflict between predator and prey ever Mm -hmm. right and so she takes the hit like she quits the police force she's like I stoked the conflict I should quit
0: yes uh, and it's again that that acknowledgement that she, that she did exactly what she was trying not to do is <laughs> it's, it's the key uh character moment for her
1: and i i'll say that that moment where she quits is like the one time i think this movie really like recognizes that there are systemic problems in the sense that like individual in the sense that individuals don't make or break the system because the system's bad because she's like i broke the world and bogo is like no hops you didn't break the world it was already broken and we don't really get that kind of you know acknowledgement that individual action isn't super powerful um something else needs to change um otherwise in -hmm. the film
0: I do also, I guess, before we switch over to Nick, I I just one more time want to talk about the child Judy Hopps lying on her back saying blood, blood (laughs) during during the play and throwing these red streamers about the history of predators attacking prey and the callback that happens at the end of the film, the Natural History Museum, when when uh, Nick is pretending to have gone savage. Uh, That is just fantastic comedy right there.
1: She doesn't really change. (laughs)
0: Um, but let's talk a little bit about Nick. Uh, how, w- w- I, I guess, w- what do you feel like Nick's function is in this story?
1: He is like a perfect noir character, right? He's He's been beaten up by the system. He lives outside of it to some degree. Um, most obviously not paying his taxes. Uh, and he is a cynic that uh because it's a disney film learns to see the world from a different point of view when he meets judy
0: yes uh, and i guess for him like there's a sense of like fulfillment in in, in like the flashback that we get of him at, uh, when he's a kid and he like he wants belong like that that's something that he wants and he feels like he cannot belong uh in this world and that's why he is like you said a noir character like he's hes in this liminal space of like being you know taking advantage of society but not really being part of society as the con man and so the the finale of the film that gives him you know that that uniform with everyone else it's like this this callback to give him the sense of belonging but with some of the film is critiquing the idea of like systemic issues with the police it is a little uh odd <laughs> it's like the the final takeaway of uh you know of his character's journey
1: i mean i i I, do, I love this film on so many levels but i also the more critically i think about it the more questions i have because it it does i mean like judy's line about the police right is to that they're supposed to serve and protect um Mm -hmm. and so it is a reinforcement of the policing system uh and it also like her idealizing um of the police system is you know we're supposed to like also like capture bad guys and solve cases i want to do real police work when um you know i i've i've read, you know, books like The End of Policing um by Alex Vitell which like looks at uh the policing system in the US or so, again um we do this till we free us um by Mariam Kaba and they talk about how police work is actually no actually a lot of the things that police do are like the day-to-day stuff like writing tickets like it's not solving really cool cases um and we are reliant on policing systems in a way that we should not be.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's an interesting idea that the film is dealing with where it's positioning, like, Police as necessary and government as necessary, but acknowledging issues with both. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I I guess that's just, you know, part of the the muddled uh, feeling that some people come away with the film. So if if there is, like you said, like as as you look closely and you try and like suss out some of these things and it starts to feel more and more muddled, which, by the way, I don't think always means the story is is problematic or or, or bad I, th- I think sometimes muddled storytelling can be some of the the best kind of storytelling where you're not quite sure what, you know what the takeaway is that that can be uh an intriguing uh type of story um but you know let's set aside some of those nits that we picked at what is it about the story that you really like that that does grab you that does make this you know made this a billion dollar film that's gonna have you know a spinoff tv series on disney plus and that seems to have really connected and resonated what do you think it is
1: i mean i I definitely think the social issues are part of it, which we've talked about. Um, but I also think that it it is one of those films that is extremely clever. Um, you've talked about the visual gags, but there's also, uh, you know, it, it makes references to things like The Godfather. So, you know, it, it's written for a general audience and invites, you know, everyone in. Um, it, it, it respects its audience right like i mean the storytelling might be muddled um but it's trying to do interesting things and speak on multiple levels
0: yes and i think that like the godfather reference is an interesting one we may have touched on this before i feel like we've had this conversation but like it's a a reference that like no child is going to be getting hopefully (laughs) Uh, to that. But at the same time, my kids laugh at, you know, Mr. Big, the shrew, and both for the gag of him being Mr. Big and being tiny, but also like the voice work and uh, you know, everything about the the persona that's presented for adults, it is a reference to a classic film. For kids, it's just another funny character in the film. And I think that's a really interesting line to be able to 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 walk, um, to make it function, bo- you know, for both those audiences simultaneously.
1: And I mean, it, it's it's also a mystery that you can solve this like there are little clues uh mm-hmm. like on Mel- mayor bellwether's desks there's there's a number for doug um which you might not feel to solve that but you know it's it's something that that like has thought put into it and you can tell and i also think that in as much as we talk about disney loving franchises this is something that for now was brand new Mm-hmm. And interesting, and and I I think that one of the differences I heard other people talk about about this film versus, say, Robin Hood is that Robin Hood didn't build the world around the animals, whereas this one really took the time to world build and
0: yeah, and like go through all the different environments and Mm -hmm. like the different sizes of the different animals and what communities would what different things different communities would be needing. Yeah, this film, like I. I was never bored, right? Like I'm all, I was always invested in the characters and a lot of like the thematic muddiness we've identified. That's like post analysis after it. Well, like when I, when I was in there watching it with my kids, I was laughing along. I was compelled by the story. There was fantastic voice work uh, co- coming um, from, from both uh, Jennifer uh, Goodwin and, and Jason Bateman in the lead roles. And also all the side characters had, you know, they were well cast um, and there's laugh out loud bits that are happening left and right, both visually and w- with the dialogue. And the world is just bright and interesting. And as you said, the story is compelling and actually is an interesting my- mystery that is um, being used as a vehicle for some of the social commentary. And maybe not all that social commentary works, but the story itself works right (laughs) and and maybe when we try and step back and take it apart for themes we start to say uh this seems to imply this but that seems to imply that and i don't quite see how those match up and and that that's a part of of i think any storytelling that you know very few very rarely you're gonna find the story that's completely cohesive all the way through but in terms of like telling an entertaining story for adults and kids i think this checks so many of the boxes of what you'd be looking for
1: yeah i i mean as much as I get a stomach ache over analyzing, right? Like I, I mean, if you listen to Vox podcast, you hear me get a stomach ache every week about analyzing things I enjoy and finding all the bits that make me uncomfortable. Um, as much as I, you know, a- a- analyze things, I really just loved watching this film on a fun level. And mm-hmm. I I mean, like I wanted it to win best. Oscar like picture for the Oscars like I thought it was one of the best things Disney and Pixar had put out in years. Um and really still stand by that.
0: Yeah, and I I think like for me where I'm at, I also am now like seeing these kinds of products like through my kids and sitting down with my kids and watching this and having them both like laugh at a lot of moments of the film but also like be scared and say this part's too scary and like want to run out of the room like I I I think kids need that. <laughs> So <laughs> you know, when when the animals are, are going savage and and uh, like it's threatening in a way that on the one hand, we know our main characters are going to be safe because they're not the parents in a Disney film. Uh, <laughs> if they're parents in a Disney <laughs> film, they're in trouble. Uh, but we know the main characters will be safe. But there's that moment of like fear. And I, I, I think this does like hits just the right amount of fear uh, and then also like pulls it back very well. So like when uh, the, you think Nick is going uh uh savage at the end and he gets like he bites judy around the neck like with his fox teeth and the sharp teeth and then like smiles and then judy starts doing the blood blood thing again like it it broke that tension so perfectly for my kids uh and and i think you know as a kids movie you know maybe it's going to be better at like uh in the future like a vehicle to raise some some questions for the kids for some discussion about about society and culture but right now it's just an entertaining film for them that has some of that thematic uh you know in, in, intrigue that is interwoven with the world that they've built
1: Though can i we have not talked about the words savage and primitive mm-hmm. but i really like as a 19th centuryist i really want to talk about the words savage and primitive Let's do it. because it every time they say it all i can think of is um just how those words were used in the 18th and 19th centuries um i'm gonna do the dissertation site and things real quick um like in the book an intellectual history of cannibalism um that book talks about how american savages like they use the word savage was used by contract theorists as a way to set up civilization um versus a social contract so there is a continuous continuum which Zootopia basically follows of savage versus civilized but uh of course in the 18th century they were using this to justify colonialism of Native Americans um mm-hmm. Robbie Richardson wrote The Savage and the Marr Self, North American Indians in 18th century Bracial Literature and culture. And also like talked about, um, you know, how the figure of the native American was used, um, to construct selfhood. Uh, Darwin, who, you know, was very interested in evolution and society wrote about primitive ness and savageness, his words a lot. Um, and he did have a like a continuity between the civilized and savage man but he was thinking that civilization in some ways um is you know about like extending sympathy and social instincts and it you know um like like that's what se- separates like human from man and has all these false binaries that i think really do map on to zootopia in its line of thinking um, and it just all I can think about is the you know very loaded colonial terms, um, when mm-hmm. they use those words. And, um, if you're thinking, um, well, you know, Darwin wasn't invested in that because he was thinking about nature and animals, he definitely was. Um,
0: oh, he, and he, his ideas were definitely adopted by people who were,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like. One major part of the voyage of the Beagle um, is he looked at the Fuegians and he wrote about them in horrifically racist ways. And also, um, like if you if you take like Gothic novels, like like you know something like Edgar Allan Poe wrote, and you look at how Darwin describes um, like their world. It's pretty close. Like Darwin was not a neutral, objective scientific writer, and he certainly like used science to essentialize a lot of like gender, race, um, traits especially. And so that that's not what they're going for in the movie, I don't think. But Mm -hmm. also, they do on accident, I think. Um,
0: Oh, I I thought the word choice was very specific oh. for oh i mean the, i mean the...
1: i mean essentializing like they oh, they right, don't purposely right, try and essentialize traits okay. um in fact uh they they um you know we talked about how they uh gosh what's the word uh it's late again uh they they, they like abstract they abstract okay. things so that it's muddied so they're not trying to essentialize things but i think they end up doing that just by talking about the continuum of primitive savage ways this is how it used to be this is how it is now does that make sense
2: yeah
0: right now i'm teaching uh an american lit class and we just got through all the contact literature of like letters from the conquistadores back to europeans and we're you know into the early uh um american fiction which has some problematic portrayals of the native peoples who had been encountered (laughs) on this continent. Uh, But it it is very much in that civilization versus savagery uh, mode of discussion, which is, you know, the timeline that we're given at the very beginning of this film. Um, But I think the film does not, like, approve of that language. Like, that's the language that is what is the breaking point with Nick, right? Is, Is raising that language and saying, you know, there's something essential to this group of people versus that group of people. Um and uh, so so I think it's it, the choice of the uh, of that word I think I think was was a very deliberate one.
1: You no, know, I, yeah, I I agree with you there. I just think that the way that they employ the timeline mm. is what, what you mean. wraps it back around. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, if you adopt a certain narrative, um, of origin you put the practices of the primitive or the ideas of what a primitive person or object looks like into a certain category. And you civilization is trying to distance yourself from that in that sort of logic continuum.
0: Yeah. I I, I see what you're getting at with that.
1: Yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, they probably weren't thinking about how Locke uses those words in the social <laughs> contract. I'm guessing.
0: But but I think they're aware of how that you words have been that yeah. word has been used in racial contexts particularly.
1: Yeah. And and they also, you know, I I think that um the article I also mentioned um com- like thinking about Black Lives Matter in relation to this film also like thinks about the term predators and how that's been used mm-hmm. to describe the, the idea black. of
0: like super predators. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Yeah in in government uh policies right well any final thoughts about Zootopia <laughs> that's where we're about time to have to wrap up this episode
1: I mean if you aren't going to watch Zootopia at least download Shakira's try everything it's a fantastic song Bit of an um, earworm,
0: yes definitely
1: and I I hope they I kind of hope they do make a sequel I know that people are like don't make sequels but I would be interested in seeing um how they might respond to abolition becoming more of a known avenue of thought in pop culture and just, you know, Black Lives Matter in twenty sixteen versus twenty twenty one plus. Um I, I I would I wonder if things might shift in how they write and think
0: yeah and i i hope like our discussion of some of the like the thematic issues that we've we've raised doesn't turn anyone off from watching it where it's like oh that sounds like a a chore or a headache or like it's swinging for the fences in in its uh metaphors or anything like that like it is a successful film by itself. Uh, And if that's how you want to engage with entertainment for a night and just like unplug and turn on a a fun family film, like this is going to do that. If you also want to engage with your entertainment in a different way, where you like, you have conversations like, well, what do you think this, you know, this is getting at. And does that contradict this other element of the story? This is a film that obviously I think, you know, our conversation shows uh, can uh, warrants that kind of scrutiny and and that kind of, um, you know, uh, exploration. Um, And, Uh, I think that makes it a fascinating piece. Like it's just an interesting piece of pop culture history, you know, that, that, you know, this film came out in this moment um, and has all these aspects to it. Uh, And um, it's something that I'm definitely still gonna be thinking about, but also I'll probably circle back and watch with the kids again at some point in the future, just for a fun family movie night. All right, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at J. Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at DisMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash podcast. And you can also go find Dueling Genres Discord channel to see all of the uh, podcasters there and uh, other listeners having discussions about the episodes that we've uh, released recently. Hannah, is there anything you would like to plug?
1: Uh, if you are interested in hearing more about Zootopia and other forms of media that deals with the police. Uh, My other podcast, Fox Popcast, um, did a couple of episodes on copaganda last summer, um, and we cover a new topic on pop culture every week. Some more silly than others
0: it's uh kind of an eclectic grab bag which is in my opinion the best kind of podcast <laughs> where <laughs> you're you're not sure uh what's coming next but it's always entertaining so i very much enjoyed the box podcast and please keep that going uh hannah uh and uh thank you listeners for downloading this episode we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story so long
1: I don't know why I thought Andrew was going to go. <laughs> 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 I you can tell that it's like 11:30 my time. Okay. Um I mean